Good morning, everyone. Welcome to you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church, luckiest man in the world. And it's good to be with you in the cafe. Anybody joining us by way of audio or video podcast, welcome to you. We love you as well. Open your Bibles with us to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. As you turn to Luke, let me put a verse on the screen from 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. The key word here is grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3, 18. The key word is grow. Grow. I grew up in church, as a lot of you did. In the church I grew up in, we heard a lot of preaching about salvation. Praise the Lord. I mean, I'm so glad to have grown up in a church that preached the gospel. Um, The thing is, though, we preach the gospel so much. We preach about getting saved so much, but we never talked about what comes next. So our, our folks were often confused, and you would see people get saved over and over and over and over. You know, Sunday school teachers have been teaching Sunday school for 50 years, you know, get saved and baptized again. It's like, what? And I understand that there are false converts in any congregation or people who have based their uh, idea of salvation on something other than Christ. They hear the gospel uh, for the first time, perhaps, in all these years, and they recognize their need of Christ and they get saved. I, I recognize the fact that there's some people who get saved because they've never been saved. But, but also in church life, uh, there's a point where you need to just move on. You get saved and the point is you get saved then you grow. It's like being born again. That's what Jesus calls it. And you're born again, and then you begin to grow in Christ. You grow up in Christ. It's not just getting saved over and over and over. So many of us get stuck, and that's part of where the sermon comes in today. We get stuck because we really don't ever begin to grow. I want this congregation to grow. And we're about to enter into a season where we're going to really take very, very seriously our obligation and freedom in Christ to, to grow in Christ. Now, part of what we really need you to do as a congregation is in the next few weeks, actually, why don't you just do it today? Go to the church website. The church website is woodburnbaptist.org. Okay, okay, it's the same. It's been that way since Andy Griffith and Aunt B, y'all. Woodburnbaptist.org. Or go to the church website, right on the front page, there's a little link at the bottom, a blue link that says, take the, take the discipleship survey, go down and take the survey. Warren's goal was to have a discipleship survey that had 10 questions. So we hammered it down to 10 questions. And then we had to add, you know, how old you are, age and demographic, and it became 15 questions. And so we lived with 15, right? Um, but basically it's a 10 question survey. It won't take you long at all. It's, it's not the sort of thing where we trace your name and find out all about you. It's not that. We just want to get a general picture uh, from year to year how our church is growing because the point is we're supposed to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would say it this way. If you follow Christ, you will learn, change, and grow for as long as you live. If you're truly following Christ, you're going to learn, you're going to change, and you're going to grow for as long as you live. There's not some point where you reach a, a, a stage where you no longer have to learn anything. In your Christian life, you should be learning. So honestly, sitting there right now, when's the last time you read a really good Christian book? I mean, that somebody wasn't reading to you at at church. When's the last time you were reading something in God's word and you got so excited because you learned something new? 
When's the last time you went to an old story, a familiar story, and you saw something fresh and, and new? And that happened in your personal life, not because the preacher you know, put your face in it, but because the Holy Spirit spoke to you and your heart was soft toward the Holy Spirit. I'm describing the normal Christian life, not just something for saints or religious superstars. I'm talking about what the Christian life is like. You're always learning. And if you've stopped learning, you've stopped growing and there's something wrong and you need to recognize that there's something wrong. You change, constantly changing because we're always becoming more and more like Jesus. And if you've stopped changing, if you've reached a point where, I mean, you don't change, you haven't changed your socks, you know, in, in, in 10 years. I mean, there's a problem here if you're not continuing to grow and stretch yourself and allow Christ to put to death the character traits in you that do not resemble Christ. If you're not experiencing that, honestly, that pain and, and, and that tension of, of growing, then seriously, there's something wrong. We're always changing, always growing for as long as we live. This is the Christian life. I'm telling you, spiritual growth is hard because change is hard. And that's why it's hard. That's why a lot of us stop growing. And that's the problem I want us to consider. Why is it that if, if honestly the, the Christian life is all about change and learning and growing, why do so many of us get stuck? Some of us have been stuck a long, long time. I think it's time to get unstuck. And this is what I want us to consider. Honestly, you get stuck whenever in your life you begin to choose comfort over Christ. At some point, you begin to choose comfort. In other words... The pain of changing becomes too much for you. You would rather just stay the same. And at whatever point you decide to no longer follow Christ, at whatever point you will no longer allow him to lead you outside the zone of your comfort, you stop growing. And at that point, there's something profoundly wrong with your spiritual life. You get stuck whenever you choose comfort over Christ, and that takes us to Luke chapter 13, uh, a little bitty parable that Jesus teaches here. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Luke chapter 13, verse 6. Listen to the word of the Lord. This is good. Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. Don't you love that? It's a waste of dirt. The gardener answered, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. What? That's the story Jesus told right there. I love it. Now, honestly, you need to read the whole context. In the beginning of chapter 13, some people come to Jesus with a report of a horrible disaster. People have been killed, and they're asking Jesus, why did this happen? Why were all of these people, you know, how do they die such a horrible death? Were they horrible sinners? And so Jesus is, gives this parable in the context of talking about judgment and, and what it means to be a sinner in need of repentance and how God is patient in giving us time to repent. That's the actual context, but I want us to use this parable in the same way to talk in a more general sense of what it means to be planted in the garden of the Lord. 
In a very general, in a very simple sense, what does it mean to be planted in the garden of the Lord? The Christian life in in every sense is a living thing, a growing thing. And in that way, it's like we're all plants, all trees planted in the garden of the Lord. And that's why this parable becomes very, very instructive. Honestly, the Lord laid this sermon on my heart way back last summer, and the Lord laid it on my heart for the specific reason of preaching it to this congregation. So let's talk about what's in this parable for us. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. What's he looking for? He's looking for growth. He's looking for change. He wants to see something happen with this tree. He planted it. He owns it. And, and he is the one who's looking for the fruit. Now, this tree should follow a natural cycle of putting down roots and growing and bearing fruit. He understands that. But the point is, it's had plenty of time to do that. It's had more than enough time, but this tree, for whatever reason, is stunted. It's stalled. It is not growing. It is not producing fruit. And the owner says, it's just they're taking up space. Cut it down. Interesting and awful. But then there's a gardener, the the one who stays in the garden. The gardener comes back and says, no, no, give it one more chance. In other words, give it some time. Give it some time. And during this time, I'll pay special attention to it. I'll take special care of it. And next year, this time, if there are no more figs, then we can cut it down. The idea is we need some time. But we need time. So honestly, if you look at this parable as sort of a parable of spiritual growth, the parable of our lives in the garden of the Lord, then honestly, you'll see there are two different approaches to change, two different approaches to, to, to growth here. Now, the first one is the one you see with the owner. I call it the all or nothing approach. Now, the owner is the owner. So he doesn't live in the, in the garden. He just visits it. So occasionally he gets a hankering for figs. He has a craving for figs, whatever. He goes out to his garden looking for figs. He keeps going to this same tree and he's always disappointed. So what's his response? Cut it down. Yeah, I'm done with it. I'm disappointed. I'm done. It's over. Cut it down. This is the all or nothing approach. A lot of you have the all or nothing approach to change. This is sort of how you do everything. Now, this does not work in the spiritual life. It never works this way. Honestly, it really doesn't work well in any, in any, any instance, any part of your life. Nothing happens this way. Now, this is the way some of us do New Year's resolutions. I'm preaching this sermon live today on February the 11th. So we're really not that far from New Year's Day. Do y'all remember New Year's Day? Did you make New Year's resolutions? Anybody make any? Yeah, you don't even want to talk about it now, do you? It hasn't even been that long. You made amazing resolutions. And we're just talking about what, 30, 40 days ago? You were going to lose 100 pounds. Do you remember that? You remember that memo? You were going to lose a hundred pounds. And that was your giant goal. A hundred pounds. On January 1st, you said, I'm done. I'm not going to eat anymore. I'm going to lose a hundred pounds by Sunday. Because that's how we do it, right? Because dieting is miserable. I don't want to be on a diet forever. I want a diet that'll just, you know, drop it immediately. It doesn't matter what kind of, you know, torture I'm going to put my body through. You know, if, if it costs me like five days of just diarrhea, I'll do it. 
I mean, this is how we are, right? I just want to do it and, and have it done and get it over with. So that's our approach, all or nothing. I'm going to lose a hundred pounds. Day one goes by. You're doing really pretty good. You eat carrot sticks. You, know, you eat celery sticks. You know, who can do that? Like rabbits. It's, it's, it's awful. You're starving. You, your, your stomach's growling. On day two, you, you eat, you know, a, a good breakfast, you know, dry toast and whatever and orange. And then by lunchtime, you're like dying. So you go down to the machine at work and you get like a pack of those Oreos. Like those mini Oreos, they're like this big. It's only enough in the bag to make you mad. So you eat the bag of Oreos, you think, shoot, you know, I've messed up. I've messed up my diet, but I'll do better at supper. And then at supper time, you sit down in front of that salad and you think, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. So what do you do by bedtime? You just go to the fridge and eat a jar of mayonnaise. Eat the whole jar of mayonnaise, you know. And it's January 3rd now, but you think, well, pff, I blew it. But there's always next year. It'll be January again in 12 months. I'll try again next year. I'm done. I'm done. And that's how we do. I'm going to be a better husband. That's my New Year's resolution. I'm going to be a great, I'm going to be the world's greatest husband. Yeah. How's that going for you, sir? Better yet, let's ask your wife. If she's now married to the world's, we make these giant goals. I'm going to be a better parent. You know, we make these giant goals. The, the problem with a giant goal is, the problem with our thinking is that we honestly begin to think that, that, that the key to having a big change is to make a big goal. That the way to make big change is to make big change. And it really doesn't work that way. It never works that way. Let's say my goal is to be a, the world's greatest husband. That's a giant goal. And, and I can strive toward that giant goal. The problem is that big goal would actually entail a thousand smaller things. A, a thousand everyday kind of things that I really don't even think about because I'm just thinking about being a better husband. You know, being a better husband would probably mean doing the laundry you know, when your wife is at the if gathering all weekend, I did that yesterday. I did the laundry. I, I don't do laundry at our house, y'all. I mean, I'm a great husband in lots of other ways. But y'all, I mean, I did the laundry yesterday. You know what I found out? My wife does like 100% of the washing at our house. And all the dirty clothes are mine. Like all of them. Like all of them. Are mine, and I really feel bad for her. I mean, that's like awful for you. <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's horrible for her. It really is, y'all. She had like two pair of socks. I know she leaves the house dressed every day, but apparently she never gets anything dirty. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, preaching's messy work, y'all. But, 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 but you know, that's the truth. To be a better husband would involve things like doing laundry on Saturday morning. You understand? And, and learning not to lose your temper, learning not to act like you're asleep when she asks you to get off the couch and take care of the kids. You know, learning how to share the remote. I mean, learning how to share the chores. I mean, learning how to put somebody else's needs ahead of your own needs. We, we talk about being a better husband in this large, giant sense. But, but focusing on that big, giant, impossible goal actually distracts you from all of the smaller goals that would be required for you actually ever to reach the bigger goal. Does that make sense? 
Losing a hundred pounds is an amazing goal. But you know, maybe if you just decided to not eat dessert after supper, or maybe not eat dessert after 10 o'clock at night, you know, there are small things that you could do. But the point is, we don't really think about the small things. We just make these giant goals, these all or nothing goals. And when we fail, we quit. When we're disappointed, we're done. And that's the owner in the garden. Understand, he just visits the garden. He doesn't live there. He just occasionally pops in, wishes he had some figs. He's disappointed. He's done. Cut it down. Yeah, all or nothing. It doesn't work. It's not working in any other part of your life, and it won't work in your spiritual life either. Okay? Because there's another way. It's this slow Slow, lasting change. And this is what the gardener understands. He says, no, no, wait. Give me time. Understand that? Give me time. You know, you just, you know, drive up in your car and hop out and walk over here expecting figs, you know, immediately. And it doesn't work that way. If you want results, give me time. Understand? So everything in your life that requires growth, that requires change, it requires time. You've got to learn to give things time. And you've got to learn that slow change is lasting change. Slow change. In other words, it's not losing 100 pounds in a week. It's maybe losing 100 pounds over the course of two years. Because slow change is lasting change. So the gardener says, no, give me time. I will pay this tree special attention. You see, the gardener doesn't just drive up and visit the garden on occasion. He lives there. He works there. He's there every single day. And he says, every single day, I will give this tree special attention. I'll give it the attention it needs. And over time, let's just see if we don't have some results. It's, it's, it's slow change. Honestly, the, the secret of the spiritual life is the everydayliness of it. Is that a word? Every dailiness. It's every day. You can't just sort of visit Jesus at church on Sunday. It doesn't work that way. You can't just get saved at some point in your life and then walk off, live like hell, and then come back three years later and ask to be rebaptized. It doesn't work that way. That's not the Christian life. That's not anything at all how this works. It's slow change. It's, it's lasting change. And this is exactly what Jesus is illustrating in the story. The gardener says, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it another year and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. Okay, that's a new living translation. What he literally says is two things. I'm going to dig it and I'm going to dung it. That good? I'm going to dig it and dung it. Okay, what does it mean to dig it? I did this yesterday, actually, man. Casey was at the if gathering. I was doing laundry, y'all. I was on fire. I looked over in the corner, and there was this tree that, that honestly, I think it's called a dragon tree. I'm, I'm not really a plant person, but this thing came from my grandmother's funeral. And so it's sort of special to me. And it's died and come back to life. I mean, like, I mean, it's, it's I, I could preach from it, y'all. I mean, because. Because honestly, I sit it outside in the summer and it gets all the sunshine and rain that it needs. And then I bring it in the winter and it just, you know, lays in the corner and cries for help. So the problem with it at this point, it's been out so many summers that, that it's root bound in its pot. And at the same time, the soil has gotten really hard. You ever had a plant like this? So when I water it, the water just like runs out and out the bottom and all over the floor and the, and the plant's still dry. 
and I don't understand it. You know, the point is the soil is so hard now and the roots are so compact. I mean, this thing is like a rock and therefore it's going to die because of the way it sat there so long. Now it's grown for years and years and years and, and this has been good soil and it's been a healthy tree. But the point is sitting there this long has not been good for it. All of those summers in the sun, all of that rain that fell and beat down, I'm telling you, that soil was hard as a rock. So yesterday I, I grabbed this pot, I set it in the kitchen sink and I filled the whole sink with water. The dragon trees don't like a lot of water. But this isn't about in the moment what the tree likes. This is about trying to keep it alive. So I put it in the whole sink full of water so that a whole big root ball would start softening up. And then I got a wooden spoon and I just started jabbing it. Just started digging it. And what am I doing? I really didn't do it for the sake of preaching, y'all. I've been needing to do this for a long time. I just started jabbing it with the spoon, just trying to dig up the roots, dig up the soil. Why am I doing that? To loosen it up so that when the water goes in, the water will be absorbed. The water is just running off of it. It's, it's grown hard. It's grown completely incompatible with life. And so I have to dig it. And this is exactly what the gardener says he's going to do with this tree. He's going to dig it. He's going to take his spade and dig around that tree. He's going to jab at the roots. He's going to cut some of those roots. He's going to dig in that ground. He's going to loosen it up again because it's gotten hard. In other words, he's going to have to disturb this root ball. He's going to have to disturb the ground around this tree. This tree needs to be dug up. It needs disturbance. So what's it like when the spirit digs in our life in that way? Because honestly, a lot of us need some digging right now. Your heart's gotten hard. I don't mean you've gotten mean. Some of you are mean too. That's it. We preached that last week. It's just your heart is hard. It's, it's when you hear the word preached, it just runs right off of you now. It doesn't soak in. Your heart is no longer soft for the word of God. Your heart is only soft in worship. You see other people worshiping and praising God. You used to do that, but you don't do that anymore. You've gotten hard. And you need some digging. You need some disturbance. You need something to shake you up. Now, this is not pleasant. It's not pleasant at all. Because when you're sleepy and a little bit lazy, the last thing you want is to get up off the couch. The last thing you want is, is for somebody to ask you to get up and move. But this is precisely what your spiritual life needs. You need to get up and move in the worst kind of way. You need to be awakened from your slumber. You need something, something to begin breaking up the hard pain of your heart. You need disturbance. You need digging. You need something to shake you, to rattle you. Because this is actually what's going to bring you back to life. If you're thinking you're going to sort of snooze your way into revival, if you think you're going to be lazy and somehow bear fruit, it's never going to work that way. We've got to somehow set your hair on fire, lady. We've got to somehow give a kick in the seat of your pants, sir, so that once more you start moving, you come back to life. The gardener says, I'm going to dig it. I'm going to dig at it. I'm going to take my spade and I'm going to begin really working these roots. Men, in our spiritual lives, we need that in the worst kind of way. You need this in the worst kind of way. The fact that you don't want it is the strongest sign that you need it. 
I'm going to dig it. And I'm going to dung it. <laughs> yeah, y'all wonder where I'm going to go with this next, st- next, next point. What does the dung represent? The New Living Translation uses the word fertilizer. Yeah, fertilizer. Man, the, the tree needs certain nutrients for life, for fruit. And because the roots are hard, because the ground is hard, because it's been there so long now, once you start digging those roots, there's a possibility that it might absorb and receive the nutrients again. But now you've got to put the nutrients to it. What are the nutrients? What is the sunshine and the rain of the spiritual life? What is it? It's the Word of God. I mean, Jesus himself says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. I mean, we need God's word. We need the voice of the Lord. And I'm telling you, so many of us, we, we come to church, we have a Bible, and, and, and in the past we memorized verses and we've been in Bible studies. We're not doing any of that now, but we feel like, you know, we learned enough. You know, if there's a Bible category on Jeopardy, it's like you can get three out of five. And you're thinking that you're good. But this isn't, you know, Reading the Bible isn't about just having information. It's not about filling your mind with trivia so that you know that Caleb was the son of Jephunneh. I don't, I don't think that's going to matter much in heaven even, except to Jephunneh. It's not about information. It's, it's transformation. It's reading the Word of God, not just to say you read it today, but reading it with a mind toward, how is this verse going to change my life today? The book of James says it's like looking in a mirror to see what you look like. And when you look in a mirror and you see that you got spinach on your teeth, you instantly begin to change yourself. The point of looking in the mirror is that you know how to present yourself, how you need to change and the word of God is like that. you holding a mirror up to your own soul every single day. And when you see that the Bible says you need to learn how to forgive, you walk right away and you do what the Bible says. You change in response to God's word. That's what it means to have a soft heart. That's what it means to grow. So the word of God is actually fuel for change. It's fuel for growth. You don't just read it because you think you're supposed to know this information. You read it to find out how you're supposed to live. Don't just look for something, you know, a good question to stump your Sunday school teacher on Sunday. Look for a command to follow and then follow it. Look for an example to imitate. Look for something there that helps you understand more and more of how far away your heart is from the Lord. Look for something that will draw you near. The Bible is about transformation. This is the fertilizer for your growth. So the gardener says, I'm going to dig it. I'm going to dung it. Give it some time. I think we'll see something different next year. So what are the lessons for spiritual growth? Let me give you a couple and we'll be done. First off, in your Christian life, strive for continuous growth. Continuous growth. I, I, I know, I, I know, I, I love all of you. I've prayed with, I've been, I've been your pastor 21 years. I, I've been there with you when something horrible happened and you come in my office and say, Pastor Tim, I'm, I'm going to be a missionary in Botswana. I told the Lord if he'd just bring my son home, I'd be a missionary in Botswana. You know, gosh, it'd be fantastic to send you to Botswana, actually, on some days. But it's probably less about that. You know, you, you want these uh, amazing, dramatic explosions of growth in your life. Like, all of a sudden, you know, God's calling you to preach. And Pastor Tim, the Lord's laid on my heart, I need to preach next Sunday. 
And the last Saturday night you were in a bar, but you want to preach next Sunday. It, it doesn't work that way. It, that's not exactly how growth looks. It's not about all of a sudden you're just poof. Now, sometimes the Lord is able, he's able to change us overnight, but for the most part in your Christian life, the sanctification, the transformation that's going to happen is going to be slow, continuous growth for your whole life. Day by day, week by week, minute by minute, you're becoming more and more like Jesus. Strive for continuous growth. I've said the secret of the Christian life is the everydayliness of it. Every day, you need to learn and practice everyday habits that will help you be with and become like Jesus. Every day, not just Sunday, not just Christmas and Easter. Every day you work at this. Every day you strive for continuous growth. Number two, little changes over time lead to big change. Little changes over time. Now, I told you, I'm starting a whole season in our church's life, and starting next week, we're going to spend a good amount of time talking about the little changes that you can make. But begin to focus on the little changes. It's wonderful that you want to be a better Christian. That's a big goal. That's a giant goal. But what does that mean? It probably boils down to probably a dozen little changes, little habits that you would have to begin incorporating in order to become a better Christian. Maybe start with one of those, you understand? Maybe start with one change. I'm telling you, little changes over time lead to big change. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that you got to wait a hundred years to start seeing results. That's not true at all. You'll start seeing results. You'll be more like Jesus, you know, today if you read his word and surrender to it, but, but you're not going to make the whole trip today. You're not going to make the whole journey. There will still be plenty of work to do with Jesus tomorrow. Just little changes over time lead to big change. So let's begin focusing on the little changes, the little single goals, the little everyday habits that we can incorporate in our lives that will help us to be with and become more like Jesus. Does that make sense? Little changes over time lead to big change. Next, y'all aren't going to like this. You hate this. Choose disturbance. Over comfort every time. Choose disturbance over comfort. Y'all don't like disturbance. Oh, y'all, I don't like disturbance. I like to figure out exactly what's happening. I want things predictable. I like to put something down and have it stay in its place. I like to find my pew and just get rooted in it, you know? I like to find my pew on Sunday. I like to know when we're going to stand and when we're going to sit and when we're going to pray. I like to know what, kind, what time this thing's going to be over, when the preacher's going to wrap this thing up. I like to know where we're eating lunch on Sunday. I mean, this is just how we are. We like to know. We like to have everything in its place, and we don't like to be rattled. I'm telling you, that desire for comfort... That desire for everything to be nailed down and predictable. That desire that you have to settle in your place and never ever have to learn, change, or grow. That is poison spiritually. Choose disturbance. Ask God to shake things up for you. Look for opportunities to follow him outside your comfort zone. Because I promise you, Jesus is not just going to walk around inside the little safe confines of what makes you comfortable. Jesus isn't just going to come over every day and watch a game show network with you. He wants to take you out on an adventure in life. 
He wants you to step out, step across, get your feet wet, as Caleb Hodges said. You need to learn to choose disturbance over comfort every time. Book of Psalms says over and over and over, sing a new song to the Lord. Man, we sing a new song right here and people lose their minds. Sing a new song, he says, sing a new song. Man, the old songs were fantastic. But we got to move forward. We got a new day. We got new ways to praise him. We got to step out, choose disturbance. When's the last time you stepped out and did something really hard just because you felt like Jesus was asking you to do it? When's the last time you really stretched yourself? When's the last time you took the mission trip? You stepped on the airplane. When's the last time you crossed the room to talk to your family member who needs to know Christ? When's the last time you did the the impossible thing, the hard thing, the stressful thing? When's the last time you just asked Jesus to lead you wherever he would take you and you'd follow him? Because he's always going to lead you into disturbance. Always. Always, this is how it works. The spiritual life is hard because change is hard. And change is always disturbance. It's always disturbance. Gosh, we can let everything stay the same forever around here. And then I'd preach about 300 funerals and we'd just close the doors and be done. But that's not why Christ has us here. That's not why Jesus died on the cross to save you. Not just so that you can become settled in your ways, be comfortable. Let him stretch you. Let him lead you. Let him bring a holy disturbance into your soul. It will be the best thing that ever happened to you. Last thing. Stay hungry. Now, I know what y'all are thinking. Yeah, okay, no problem here. You know, I said jar of mayonnaise. You know, some of y'all are thinking, man, I'd love to have a jar of mayonnaise right now. No, I'm talking about staying hungry. Stay hunger for God's word. I remember as a kid, my, one of my favorite days were in the summer when we would haul hay. I love square bales to this day. If you have square bales to haul, I'm your guy. I'm not kidding. I love square bales. I love hauling hay. Do you remember that? Back in the days when you'd haul hay, and it'd be the hottest, hottest work in the world. Just, just arms just nearly bleeding, scratched up, man, get in the top of that hayloft, and it would be a thousand degrees, you know, M- mama would bring a, a jug of ice water out, and man, that would be the best water ever, remember that, how good water would taste when you're hot and you've been working, and, and then back in those days in the country, the, the, the midday meal was called dinner, yeah, so, so dinner gets ready about, about lunchtime, man, it's so hot, you've been working so hard, mama says, I'm not letting you in the house, you know, you're, you're dirty, filthy, you know, but you come in anyway, and you sit down at the table and you eat dinner, not the best meal ever, why does it taste so good? Because you've worked, <laughs> because you've earned it, you know why you don't enjoy half your meals? Because you haven't earned it, you know, when you just, you know, sit in your chair, eat, get up and eat again. Sit in your chair, get up and eat again. Food doesn't taste any good. That's why it takes a whole bag of Doritos for you. I'm kidding. But I'm also serious. You understand how food is different when it is literally fuel for work, fuel for action? Honestly, if some of us did more actual work for the Lord... We would have more of an appetite for spiritual things. The, the, the fact that you know, you know, one sermon on Sunday is good for you, 
probably says something about the way you live Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. When you have no hunger whatsoever for the things of God. When, you know, for you, a you know, 20-minute sermon is just a little too long. You know, for you to, to, to be asked to just, you know, maybe read your Bible for yourself for 10 minutes a day at home, that's just a little bit too much. It probably says something about your spiritual life, at least your spiritual activity level. I mean, the, the Word of God, it's, it's not just here to make us fat and happy. It, it is here to provide fuel for our work, fuel for our growth, fuel for change. So the owner went out to the garden and saw this tree that had been there for years, years. He looked for figs, but it wasn't bearing any figs. It was just there, a waste of dirt. In the garden of the Lord, there is no place for the tree that is not going to bear fruit. Cut it down. But the gardener says, no, no, give it time. Let me do some things every day over time. This time next year, you might see a change. This is all I'm telling you. If you do some little changes, little things every day over time, this time next year, you might see a big change. Pray with me.